welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Welcome back, one and all. This is the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris. I am joined by Dr. Joe Boot, and regular listeners will uh, will see another familiar face, a familiar voice in uh, Jonathan Wellam. Uh, Jonathan is the, uh, the founder and director of Rocklink Investment Partners, uh, just uh, just up the road from where I am here in Niagara, uh, in southern Ontario here. And uh, he's, he's been on the show several times, uh, brings a wealth of uh, expertise and wisdom uh, in the realm of uh, economics and investment. And we are uh, we're delighted to uh, to have him with us. Before we get into our, uh, our topics for today, uh, just a quick reminder, uh, riding high still on the uh, the Mission of God uh, conference in Windsor that happened this past weekend, which was a, uh, a wonderful event. Uh, Joe was speaking, uh, Dr. Aaron Rock, Nate Wright, and Ted Fenske uh, were all uh, giving lectures on the theme of uh, uh, biblical sexuality, uh, specifically with regards to the, uh, the trans movement, uh, transgender, transhumanism, critical and important things that are constantly being put in front of our uh, our eyes uh, that we need to be able to think Christianly about. And uh, we're coming up uh, this coming weekend. We've got, uh, got that same theme uh, that we're, we'll be repeating in Calgary, Alberta. So that's, uh, that's Saturday, uh, December 9th. You can still get tickets at the website, ezrainstitute.com. And I'd encourage you to uh, to come out and uh, and join us for that as well. Uh, Joe will be there. Ted Fenske will be there again. Uh, Tim Stevens, Pastor Tim Stevens, and uh, Fairview Baptist Church, who are hosting us, uh, he'll be speaking, as well as uh, Peter Jones, uh, who's an Ezra Institute fellow uh, on the West Coast in California. He'll be coming up to join us. We're really looking forward to that. Get your tickets at EzraInstitute.com. So with that, uh, with that clear. Gentlemen, uh, welcome to the program. Jonathan, it's, uh, it's great to have you again. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's a privilege to be back on the program with you guys and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Excellent. Well, without, uh, without further ado, let's, uh, let's give the people what they want. Uh, we're here in uh, early December, and it's, uh, it's probably about that time that, uh, that you at, uh, at Rocklink start to start putting together your your fourth quarter uh, reviews um, just kind of at a uh, at a layman's level I took a quick look um, it's been a uh, it's been a bit of a wild year uh, S&P uh, Dow Nasdaq are all up pretty much double digits uh, year to date if I'm if I'm reading that correctly uh, we have uh, Lending interest rates after 18 months of continual uh, up and up skyrocketing uh, action are uh, are holding steady. Uh, home home prices are are starting to uh, to decline, and uh, I was actually reading in uh, in your third quarter uh, review, Jonathan, that uh, you're you're seeing a, a big phenomenon of uh, I guess. Uh, high high quality companies are uh, are trading at a discount uh, in several sectors here, which is uh, you know for uh, for the kind of work that you do um, a mixed blessing, but uh, but I guess I think you'd call it ultimately good news. Um, 
maybe uh, maybe just with the, with all of that, if I'm off base on any of that, um, correct me and uh, fill in what I've uh, what I've left lacking uh, in in terms of uh, how's the how's the year been so far. Yeah, Ryan, it's a, that's a that's a nice little overview. I think um, let's put put a few more uh, data points in terms of what's happened the last year, and even even going back to 2022, sort of the back half of that year, we started to see a rapid rise in inflation. Uh, price increases started to go up quite a bit, and that uh, mm. l- largely um, largely because of the uh, COVID uh, issues. I mean, that caused all sorts of dislocations, supply chain issues. They printed you know incredible amounts of money that they pumped into the system. And um, and so there was there was a lot of pressures uh, in terms of price increases. That means that um, interest rates um, had to go up in terms of if you think of the typical economic or monetary model. Um, what are you going to do when there's inflation? Well, you're going to jack the you know the value the price of money up. Now, money was very very inexpensive, so it was at record lows. It was almost free for quite some mm-hmm. time. And so it was quite a phenomenon to see the Fed, the central banks around the world, led by the the Fed, the Federal Reserve, the big one in the U.S., to start jacking rates up. So rates went up from you know half a percent, 075 percent, all the way up to five percent in the matter of eighteen months. And when you think of the percentage change, that is dramatic. I mean, that's that's really the fastest percentage change in rise in rates that we have ever seen, certainly in recorded history. So mm-hmm. what, what does that mean? That means it's going to really start putting the um, downward price pressure on a lot of assets because the way you value assets is a, you know, basically you discount the cash flows. You, you take the cash flows and you use a discounted, dis, discount rate, use the interest rate to discount those cash flows. So that means it's going to really put pressure on the value of all assets. We see that particularly the easiest place to see it is in homes. If your mortgage payment is going to double and triple, uh, or go up, you know, certainly by a large amount. Uh, you can't afford the homes. It's going to put downward pressure on the value of the homes. So, so all through 2023, starting in 2022, we saw rates going up. Central banks lifting rates. They wanted to put a throttle on the economy, and uh, and we could go into a long conversation on that too. You know, is that the best way to th- you know to slow down an economy um, when you've already orchestrated? inflation largely by very bad policy decisions in the first place um you should be also thinking not just of slowing the economy down you should think about production making more goods um and not slowing down the production of goods because you have both supply and demand that you want to be attacking so what's happened is uh, with all those interest rate increases it has put downward pressure on stocks um, and so you saw the stock market come down quite a bit in the first half of this year and as we got into the sort of the third quarter the economy is started to showing a leveling off of inflation, or at least inflation rate coming down quite a bit, and that's put a big bit of uh, you know a lot of air under the stock market because now all of a sudden now people say maybe we've reached the peak, and if we reach the peak, then rates might come back a little bit, and that's going to give us a little bit uh, more comfort to be able to go back into the stocks. And so in November in particular, the month that just passed, we had a very large increase in the stock market. You had eight nine percent increases on the indexes. And that's largely because people are viewing the interest rate increases have, uh, having peaked and actually coming off a little bit. And so that's sort of the environment that we're finding ourselves in now. I would also just add quickly that um, the indexes, uh, the Dow Jones is up about 3 or 4%, um, I think, f- maybe 5% year to date. And you've got the NASDAQ up 30%. 
Um, and that's because if you take the top seven, eight tech companies, Apple, Amazon, Meta, uh, Google, which is Alphabet and so forth, you take these NVIDIA, which has been really pushed because of AI and chips. If you take those out of the equation, then uh, you know the the market would, would may, maybe be up just single digits. So hmm. it has been heavily influenced by the tech giants, the big you know close to trillion and multi trillion dollar companies. And when you, so when you look below the surface, there are a lot of sectors that haven't done well and actually are trading at much lower valuations. And that's the comment uh, that uh, we made in our third quarter that there's some businesses that uh, have been impacted negatively and uh, have not rebounded yet. So overall, yeah, it's been a volatile year and that's largely been driven by interest rates. Where are interest rates gonna go? The cost of money has gone up and that really puts downward pressure on equity values and asset values in general. And of course, if you, you, know, you add the, uh, the war in the Middle East and so forth, a few other things that have come on, uh, those also are, 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 you know, concern the market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, one of the things that you mentioned there is that uh, people are now starting to expect uh, rates to, uh, to taper off, as we've seen a little bit, and, uh, and to start uh, moving downwards. And this is, uh, I guess, you know, the, the root question is uh, why or on what basis? And uh, there, uh, certainly there's lots of, lots of data and historic information that, uh, that you'll have there. But uh, what is the, uh, what's the, what are the root assumptions here? Uh, Joe will probably have something to say yeah. about the, uh, the worldview behind not just that assumption, but the, uh, the broader approach to, uh, to economics, investing, and interest rates. Yeah. Well, I mean, interest rates are your cost of money. And um, the, the problem that we've had over the last 20, 30, even 40 years, a long, I mean, a, a fairly extended period of time is that we've had this massive uptick in debt. In other words, we have since the early 70s started to pile on debt at a rate that is literally twice the level of the economic growth. So j- just back of the envelope numbers, we've basically been growing debt at seven to 8% compounded per year, if you use the United States as our, our benchmark. And the economy, the g- measured by GDP, the total you know, production of goods and services, has been growing a little over 4% a year on average for the last 50 years. And so you get to a situation where the debt in the United States has gone from a trillion dollars in the early 80s to 33, 34 trillion today. Like, so you're talking a 33, 34 time increase. But the economy over that same period of time is up about seven times. So you have this massive, massive uptick in debt. And that's we're only looking here at the federal, you know, the, uh, the government, the sovereign debt. You could also add you know, corporate debt's gone up as a percentage of assets and also personal debt. Um, people, the debt that people are prepared to, to carry is, is basically tripled uh, based mm. upon their income levels. And you know, Canada being one of the worst in, in the world, I think it's running around 170, 180% debt to income. In the 70s, it was about 30 or 40%. So there's a lot more debt. And so what happens is the price of money is much more sensitive than to because of the debt that we have. So you can really so when you start moving interest rates, you really start to have a dramatic impact on the economy because it's so indebted. We're running, you know, debt to GDP ratios worldwide of maybe three hundred and fifty to four hundred percent debt to GDP. Uh, that that was substantially lower in previous years. 
So if you think about um, if you think about that, um, once interest rates start going up, it's going to have a dramatic slowdown in the economy because the cost of money goes up, and you have to fund all this debt. And that's what we've seen. Um, it starts to put the brakes on. So if you look at Europe, pretty slow growth over there. I mean, they've had energy costs go up and so forth, but it's really slugging. It's very slow. China is in a very bad way. They're not growing at all. They're trying to pump more money into the system. Uh, they also have a huge demographics problem. I mean, they're not really growing from a population perspective. They've misallocated capital for decades. That's coming back to haunt them. Um, you've got the United States, probably one of the, 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 the one of the more you know, more robust places of growth, but you've also got massive budget deficits. So you have a you have a two trillion dollar deficits now become normal in the states, um, and uh, it, I mean it's outrageous on an economy that's about 24, 24 trillion. Um, you can do the percentages, and uh, so that's not sustainable. And, and Canada is also in a real funk now. I mean we're not growing uh, at all. And we've been so mismanaged. So I think the, the big issue with interest rates is we're so far in debt that once they put the rates up, it really starts to put a put a put a um, put the put the whole economy in a chokehold, if you will. And so that's why people are expecting the rates to come back down. Um, now, not maybe not way down, but they're going to have to come down at some point, and they'll probably have to pump more money into the system because it's very difficult to keep a system this indebted going. And what you don't want is deflation. So the big concern of central banks is that all of a sudden, if you do get a large uh, uh, deflation coming in, and that's the natural thing. If you didn't have all the government uh, policies and the monetary policies being so loose, we would have a significant deflation because we've overspent, we've pumped way too much money into the system. And that's the worst thing for a debt-based system, have deflation. If all of your assets are going down, which you collateralize your obligations, so all your mortgages are based upon home prices. And if they start to tumble, then you've got a serious issue. So this whole it's a whole balancing act of going through. Mm-hmm. How do we balance this? How do we try to keep some economic growth, but at the same time, um, not in, have inflation? When uh, And so that's, that's, that's really the, the tug of war we're in now as a result of the, uh, of, the, of the overspending and not being disciplined and running economies on no interest rates and allowing all these excesses. How do we deal with all these excesses? I mean, eventually we're going to have to deal with them. So, uh, Jonathan, just from um, for the from the lay lay persons listening to uh, listening to this, one of the, one of the um, expressions that you often hear uh, in media um, uh, when the economy is talked about uh, and you're dealing with the issue of inflationary and deflationary pressures is quantitative easing. Um, and uh, which is, I've always been fascinated by this whole idea from a worldview standpoint. Can you explain to people um, what quantitative easing is? Um, and, um, you know, the, the basic idea or the basic belief that actually stands behind that idea and what effect the quantitative easing has on the economy. As you know, during the whole COVID debacle, a great deal of quantitative easing was going on um, to pay, uh, you know, basically handouts for two or three years on vast, vast scales, which obviously added massively to the debt burden as well. And it seems to me some of our economic woes are now um, in part due to the terrible um, worldview disaster of the COVID era, which was followed up by economic worldview disaster 
Um, and, uh, and now we're sort of slowly, um, people think of it as sort of painful, as kind of austerity when you actually have to balance a budget or try and move towards balancing a budget. But could you sort of speak to, to that issue as well? And what's behind those the, the fundamental ideas in the modern economy of quantitative easing and how that then affects economic life and why do we do it? Yeah, great questions. I mean, um, and it's nothing new. Um, the quantitative easing basically is uh, is a printing of money or just adding money to the, the money supply, pumping it into the banks. And then that, that fresh money goes out into the system eventually through lending and so forth. And, uh, and then people are given purchasing power without actually creating the uh, production or wealth behind it. So you've got Increase, increased amount of money circulating, but not necessarily increased number of goods. And so you have more money chasing um, the goods and that puts uh, a price up. It all gets to this issue that you can get something for nothing, right? I mean, you can create, um, you know, you don't have to actually produce and the func- you know, our whole economy, the focus is not on production anymore. It's on distribution, redistribution. And if once you have an economy that doesn't focus on production and actually creating true wealth through the you know, innovation and producing more products and services and doing that effectively with a cost of money so that you are doing it as effectively and efficiently as possible and you're held accountable to the use of the capital in that business, um, then you're going to be in trouble. So let me give you, I'll give you a couple of quick numbers. In the United States, uh, in 2008, which is just prior to the uh, financial crisis, the money supply, the basic money supply, the Federal Reserve balance sheet, as they call it, but money supply was about $800 billion. It was less than a trillion dollars. After the financial crisis, that went up to about $3 trillion. So it went about you know, $800 billion to $3 trillion is quite the rapid increase. Fast forward to COVID days, the balance sheet of the, of the central bank in the United States jumped uh, almost up to $9 trillion. And so you've gone from $800 billion to $9 trillion in uh, about 14, you know, 14 years or so. It's now down to um, high sevens. So they've pulled some back. They've tried to pull some money out of the system. They call that quantitative tightening, which is the opposite of quantitative easing, right? I love these, uh, all these terms that they use. Um, of course, they don't want to tell you what's really happening. Otherwise, you might be uh, more sensitive to it and concerned. And so you've had this rapid rise in money supply. In Canada, um, our money supply was, you know, prior to Trudeau coming into office in 2015, it was around uh, 60, 70 billion. And uh, at the peak of the COVID days, because as you pointed out, what happened is they shut down businesses, a lot of businesses, um, and, uh, and sent everybody home. And they thought they could reproduce the wealth that's created through actual business and enterprise and economic activity by just printing money and handing it out to people. And we did this in a major way in Canada. And, uh, and they didn't go to the bond markets and uh, raise the capital in the bond markets. They just had the central banks uh, print it and hand it out. So our, our, our money supply went from under $100 billion to $500 billion. Um, so you've got like a five, six time increase in the money supply. Now they've also pulled that back to uh, just around 400, a little under 400 billion. So they're trying to tighten it a little bit because it was so abusive. But um, the whole idea is somehow you can just create wealth from nothing. But wealth has to be created through sweat, 
equity, hard work, labor, um, enterprise. You can't just give people chips that they can use to go and buy productive and uh, buy goods and services without having earned it. And so when you have money supply growing much faster than the economy, it's inevitable you're going to have um, inflation. But most of all, that's stealing from the productive. I mean, that's actually theft. If you're giving money to, to someone who has not earned it, and does not deserve that uh, through the economic process, then it ultimately is coming out of the pockets of those people who have worked for it and have mm -hmm. created wealth in the first place. And so it is a redistribution um, of wealth, and uh, the government loves that because it puts them in the, uh, the you know in the uh, driver's seat, if you will, and, uh, and and they can force their agenda. As you know, the other the theory that was being promoted by uh, Stephanie Kelton and so forth was the modern monetary theory. Mm -hmm. um, just prior to all this COVID. And it was actually, again, uh, gaining ascendancy. Um, a lot of the economic schools, a lot of the universities were thinking, maybe we can do this, you know, print money and we can target certain, we can print money and then put it into certain industries where there's excess capacity and somehow we won't create inflation. And if inflation starts coming, we just tax people, we'll just pull it out. This idea that you can micromanage the movement of money into an economy by a handful of elites of course it doesn't work. And so, but it's, it's alluring because it's, again, something for nothing. And so um, once they tried this in big way in COVID, it really backfired. I think the whole, the whole credibility of that theory has been just debunked and, um, and it's been thrown into the, into the, uh, the heap for the garbage heap for the time being. But it, it has its, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll assert itself again because human depravity, sin, wanting to get something for nothing and not work for it. In fact, I was just reading an article today. Um, in fact, it was Ray Dalio, who is from Bridgewater, a you know major, you know billionaire, significant uh, investor, um, hedge fund investor. He said it's going to be harder to fund all of this climate change agenda if we can't print the money. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, oh yeah, of course it's going to be, but that's not that's Quite not actually paying for it. That's just stealing it and doing a, a a redistribution of wealth in the economy without actually being accountable to it and uh, and people knowing what's happening right yeah. and what what happens to to people's hard-earned savings when all of that kind of money is pumped into the economy john the value of the savings goes down even if the nominal you know you you may say you have a hundred thousand dollars in savings and you say well i still have that hundred thousand in savings yeah but it buys a lot less so you know your cars aren't forty thousand anymore; they're fifty or sixty thousand dollars. Your homes, as we've seen in Canada, have gone from three, four hundred thousand to eight hundred, nine hundred, a million dollars. And so, it evaporates. It's a tax on. It's a. It's a. It's a hidden tax, and uh, inflation is definitely a tax. The other problem we have in a progressive tax situation in Canada, United States, UK, so forth, is uh, most of the tax taxation is not index inflated and adjusted so as the as as the inflation goes up you just end up paying more and more taxes or you go into a higher tax bracket automatically and the government just grabs more and more and more and more and you lose purchasing power and uh as we i think we've talked about before in previous uh shows and uh and you know if you think of canada um, I think of my own country I live in, the standard of living in this country has literally collapsed for young people. And that's because incomes have maybe doubled over the last 20, 30 years. Home prices are up four or five times. And so you can't buy and put a roof over your head. 
um, and you need two incomes and so forth. So it's very subtle. People think, oh, you know, I'm wealthier because home prices are up. Well, it's fine if you're in the game. If you're not in the game, um, you're out of the game getting into home ownership and actually advancing in the economy and actually saving money. Um, is is so much more difficult now, and uh, I think this is why young people are rebelling actually, and uh, we're seeing some pushback against the government policies in, in some of these areas. Yeah. Mm. One of uh, one of those policies that, uh, well, uh, hope, hoping you can shed shed some light on in terms of the the government's direct uh, involvement, but uh, wh- one of the things that uh, you've spoken about before, uh, which has become a a major factor uh, or style of investing is uh, ESG, and I've, I've also heard of a, a, a sounds like it's a related but separate thing, uh, SRI, socially responsible investing, and uh, these are, uh, you know, th- these use a lot of really great sounding words uh, to uh, to talk about uh, an investment strategy that. Uh, I guess, getting back to Joe's question of a Christian worldview, let let's bring that uh, that talk of uh, you know productivity and work and human effort to to bear on uh, uh, an analysis of uh, I get ESG and or uh, SRI policies, if you would. Right, and um, I mean the ESG store stands for environmental, you know, social and governance. I think it's more appropriately um, extortion, shakedown, and grift. If you really were actually to look at what actually happens, right? So, oh, those are negative-sounding words. We don't use those. <laughs> but that's the reality. And of course, as you've pointed out, you really have to look at definitions and uh, and then look at the content. Of what's actually going into it? Are they really concerned about the environment? No, this is about an attack upon. You know, a Western civilization's attack upon industrial, you know, changes to industrial revolution, fossil fuels, low cost energy. It's about moving us uh, over to the sort of green agenda um, for a whole host of reasons. Um, but none of those, the, that green agenda is not very green and it's not uh, at least bit efficient and it's going to have all sorts of issues. So if you, you know, if you're if you're saying these are all environmental issues, in fact, uh, windmills and solar and a lot of the things that they're promoting are not environmentally sense, uh, friendly at all, and, um, and they require extensive amount of mining and resources that uh, are in very risky places and uh, uh, have 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 all of their own risks. For example, you just, you just take the you take the issue of copper. I mean, we have an investment in uh, a company that. Uh, Franco Nevada, which is a great royalty company, it's a very large company. They put a billion dollars into a, a a large copper project in Panama, and um, it's, it was run by it's run the mining company that was running it was a Canadian company, and um, that company has put ten billion dollars into this project, a billion of it being Franco's, who they were going to get a royalty. And all of a sudden, the Panamanian government and the people rebel and say, you know what, we don't like this; it's not environmentally friendly. And uh, we're going to close down this mine, even though it's five percent of the GDP of Panama. Now, so I, I point that out because here's a situation where you've got um, we need copper. You cannot electrify all these you know, cars and drive around with the batteries and so forth unless we have copper. But we don't have enough copper for this agenda. We're going to have to be digging holes everywhere <laughs> to find the copper. And where we do have large copper mines, governments and places are not going to allow it to be developed. And so you have this 
big, you know, and we could go through all of the different resources you need, nickel, cobalt, lithium, rare earths. I mean, you go through all of this and we don't have the resources to meet any of the kind of uh, uh, the specs that, uh, you know, the governments have set, you know, set down by, you know, 2030, 2035, you get rid of all these cars, uh, the, the internal combustion engine, so forth. So what, what, what I'm saying is it's not environmentally friendly at all. And um, and uh, what's what if we were concerned about the environment, our policies would be dramatically different in terms of producing here in Canada some of our resources, which are clean, rather than importing dirty oil and dirty resources from other countries. So it's all about power shift and redistribution. When you look at the social aspect of it, it's all really dealing with um, uh, again a a, a non Christian agenda. Um, you know, when you look at uh, uh, the agenda they're pushing, it's the you know it's a Marxist. Uh, left-wing woke agenda. It's got nothing to do with uh, social factors that we're considering, you know, in terms of Christians. And when you get to the governance, it's all about, um, you know, diversity, inclusion, equity, and um, putting people on that fit and, you know, the intersectionality chart and not competence and merit. And so we've seen the dramatic impact on corporate governance. I mean, Look at the AI company um, with uh, that uh, they threw out the CEO recently, and uh, it was really board governance um, that got rid of uh, um, uh, this Bankman, I think it was, uh, who was the you know the one of the founders of the AI corporation and so forth. They they had all these intellectuals and all these uh, the right people that ticked all the boxes, and they threw out the founder, and uh, they uh, they had to hire him back because the whole company was going to basically uh, you know fall apart. If we look at a lot of corporate decisions now that, that are being made, they're substandard, they're not based upon true fiduciary responsibility, which means the best people, the people that have, have the best knowledge to allocate the capital and make the, the decisions in a company. So it's a political agenda, the ESG, and it's really a social credit scoring system mm-hmm. that will reward certain companies that follow all the rules, tick all the boxes according to, you know, the Marxist woke agenda and penalize those companies that don't. And uh, if you're a publicly traded company, um, the pressure on you is massive to uh, conform. And so we've seen uh, companies do crazy things, including, you know, crazy advertisements uh, using transgender people that, you know, are the exact opposite of what their market is. Uh, we saw that with Bud Light. We've seen Disney make all sorts of horrific decisions also and really undermining, destroying that brand. Um, so um, that ESG, it sounds great, but what it is, it's a it's a basic, you know, Marxist woke agenda to score companies uh, to make sure that they're towing the line to the whole sexual, cultural, economic revolution that we're seeing in our country. And uh, that's it's a huge it's a huge problem. And fortunately, we are getting more and more pushback. Um, it has created problems in the capital markets. Companies have made major mistakes and they've had to step back from it. And um, I think, you know, again, they're dealing in God's world. The, the real world um, will not support that. And you will have economic cost to those decisions. And uh, and so it's, I think we will see more and more pushback. So, yeah, those are some thoughts on ESG. I mean, it's it's got very little to do with the environment, social and governments. If you're a Christian, of course, we're worried about um, the environment, but uh, God has given us resources to develop and uh, the earth is full of resources to develop. We could have triple, quadruple the population of the world if we were to use the resources wisely. Um, and, uh, and we are to make sure that uh, we are hiring the best, those who merit it, those who work for it, uh, those who are the highest skills, 
um, those are the people that should be um, elevated and put into positions of leadership in our corporations, our government, and all of our institutions. So, Jonathan, um, in terms of the, the, the macro picture then, and uh, this sort of uh, globalist, um, uh, progressive slash neo-Marxist agenda that is absolutely being played out through these, uh, well, they're supported, of course, by all the international bodies, the, the UN and UNESCO and, and um, the World Bank and so on. They drive this same, this same agenda this sort of elite uh, agenda. Um, at the same time, we've got um, conflict in Russia, uh, Ukraine, um, and uh, we've got the Israel-Palestinian um, situation as well. These are having an impact on markets and energy markets. Um, I was reading just in the, the papers the other day that there were people who had prior knowledge of the Hamas attack and they were shorting Israel as well and, and making millions off the backs of people's misery. So we've got all, all of these um, these things going on. My fir first question um, is the, the, the approach of, of places like Russia and China to, to the, um, the sort of green drive uh, is... Well, it, it, they ignore it, basically. I mean, you know, India, China, uh, Russia, they some, there's a sort of lip service uh, to that sort of agenda. Um, but they're building their coal-fired plants, I think, at a tremendous rate in, in China. Uh, you know, the, the, the United Kingdom, you know, talks a lot about hitting, you know, ridiculous uh, 2030 targets with cars and so on. Uh, going electric, I think it might have been pushed back to 2035, um, and yet the UK's contribution to so-called, you know, carbon as though carbon were poison um, is a blip, not not even a blip on the screen compared to China um, and and Russia and so on. So my my sort of first question would be: It's ironic that in the actual sort of Marxist countries, you've got this sort of crony capitalism going on, like. Um, uh, it's not real capitalism, it's that sort of interventionist, um, uh, you know, have some markets, but then, you know, enter the market to a degree, but try and manipulate everything. Um, and there's no real support for the for the, uh, the the insanity of the green climate agenda. And then in the West, you seem to have these sort of almost take Canada, for example, almost suicidal energy, economic policies toward this as though we actually want to destroy our countries and our economies. Um, how do we account for that? I mean, am, am I off the wall there or, or are, we, are we singing from the same hymn sheet? No, I think, I mean, I think you're uh, deadly accurate. Um, and I think the way, if you step back from it, from a, from a Christian perspective, a spiritual point of view, it's, it's just absolute spiritual darkness. I mean, you cannot um, watch these decisions be made um, and, 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 and see them in any other way than, um, you know, God has just darkened the minds and the thinking of these people. They are suicidal. You take a country like Canada and the, the policies at the federal government level, we are seeing pushback provincially, thankfully, and more rational approach um, at the provincial level in a number of our provinces. But the, 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 the federal government um, is the decisions they're making will undermine our economy, destroy people's standards of living, um, and uh, in the country as, as we know it. And you sort of say, well, you know, 
how, how could they possibly do these things? And uh, they're driven so much by a, just ideology um, and no proper economics. And that ideology is an ideology of, you know, as you say, a neo-Marxist um, blind uh, assessment of human nature. And, um, and uh, it's totally destructive. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And um, the other the countries, the ones that are actually more communist in nature or more, you know, have been more centrally driven, um, look at look at us as fools. I mean, they they see it more clearly, and uh, we're a laughing stock. I'm sure Putin just laughs at the policies that we've seen put in place in Canada because he just gets a higher price for his oil, and it puts the the ability to influence the price of oil back in the hands of OPEC and in the uh, Middle East. And so, uh, you know, when Trump was in power, they all laughed at Donald Trump. But his issue was drill, 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 produce, produce, produce. You get the price down. Uh, you become major producers, you are the swing uh, producer, then you control the price. And that means the prices are lower and uh, that means all your economic costs are lower and it means you've got increasing wealth being produced, increased production, et cetera, et cetera. And you run through the whole system and you've got uh, a real strong, robust economy. You do all of that in reverse is what we're seeing by our policymakers largely in the West. And it is total economic insanity. And yeah. uh, we, you know, we're still using over 100 million barrels of oil a day after all of this money that they've pumped into the green agenda. I saw uh, a person who I have great admiration and respect for in the commodity sector, Rick Rule. He was saying that um, the, the fossil fuels, uh, after $5 trillion of money going into the green industries, our fossil fuels uh, have dropped in terms of their their percentage of uh, energy that we, that, we, that we drive from them from, from 81% to 80%. I mean, like we've moved at 1% or something like that with all this money we're spending. It's mm -hmm. just a total misallocation of capital. I think in some cases, uh, I think it's fair to say it's a bit of money laundering. I think they're putting money into the hands of some of their friends that are in the green agenda. And a lot of what takes place, as we see even with the wars, it's moving money around the world. And um, so it, it favors certain people who are on the, on the left and pushing these green agendas, big corporations and big organizations that are just... Um, the beneficiaries of a lot of this money that the government's pounding into them. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's spiritual darkness. I, I think it's the, you know, the judgment of God on the West. And um, mm -hmm. the only thing that changes this is, a, you know, is repentance, a, a return uh, back to God and um, an acknowledgement of, of our sin. And, uh, and that, that would uh, make things much different in terms of people's clarity on economic decisions. I mean, it's all, these are all spiritual issues at the, at the, mm. at the foundation, at the root of it. And the and darkness the tragedy, of it. Yeah. Tragedy seems to me as well, Jonathan, that, uh, you know, so much of what is done is claimed to be on behalf of people, uh, on behalf of, of the world's population, saving the planet and so on. And yet one of the most fundamental basic things that we know about uh, people's lives, people's health, people's survival, is that energy needs to be cheap. And that the more expensive energy is, um, you know, we seem to be in a situation where the West is coming up with vastly more expensive ways of trying to generate energy. Um, and as you say, making you know, barely a dent in what the actual, uh, we're spending vast sums of money trying to sell off this technology, of course, then to the poorer countries. And as we fail to produce, fail to develop our resources, the cost of energy goes up and people die. 
and the cost of because when energy is expensive the cost of of um farming and production of food goes up dramatically and therefore the poorest people suffer the most and yet um you have these elites in in the west especially acting as though they're saviors of humanity and all they're doing is destroying the poorest absolutely absolutely that's exactly what the implications are that's exactly what the implications are but you know i mean i think joe as you know as you've talked about issues of um post-humanism transhumanism and so on i mean a lot of these elites would be quite happy if there was a significant reduction in the world's population right which again is a bizarre thing from their perspective you're just looking at it rationally from a from our perspective, many of these people are billionaires, they're exceptionally wealthy, they benefit from the large number of people they sell their products and services to. How are they going to benefit from, you know, basically putting pressure and reducing the world's population by, you know, billions of people um, and so they can build this sustainable, this sustainable paradise type of thing? It is absolutely utter spiritual darkness. These people are dangerous, they're wicked and they're evil and uh, their agendas I think I was just listening to you know Tucker Carlson the other day, and he said, "Well, you know, when you're dealing with really evil people, and that is, you know, they they rebel against any truth, any truth, anywhere. They don't want to hear anything, and uh, they oppose every single bit of common sense, and uh, they do it. They even, you know, aggressively in every way, shape, or form. And that's the kind of people we're up against now. Um, they're pushing policies that are totally absurd, and they will." create tremendous misery and harm to humanity. And uh, mm. as Christians, we should be very concerned. I mean, we're, we're about life and we're about uh, flourishing and we're about uh, honoring God in his creation. And uh, what they want to do is the exact opposite. You, you take the issue of carbon credits. I mean, I, I, I'm always, mm -hmm. I just find this completely uh, uh, you know, outrageous. That you know somehow you can alleviate your guilt if you buy up some you know some forest and you grow you know you plant some trees. Meanwhile, you can do whatever you want somewhere else, but you can offset. You know, there's all these so-called offsets. What they're doing is they're just creating they're just they're just segregating more and more of our creation to lie fallow and do nothing with it. Mm -hmm. And somehow that's you know that that is like indulgences, if you will, and it makes them feel more better about the, what they are using in terms of resources. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense, and yet we've got a whole industry of carbon offsets and carbon credits and all of this stuff, and it's 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 absolute and utter nonsense. Um, but it sort of placates these guilty conscience. They all it's sort of a, a big spreadsheet of you know pluses and minuses, and they add them all up, and somehow it all net net neutrality at the end of it. That's just ludicrous. I mean, it's mm -hmm. absolutely ludicrous the whole the whole proposition. Yeah, this is where I think sometimes. Um, Christians don't sufficiently appreciate the absolutely central importance and character of economics. And um, it's one of the reasons we like to speak to you, Jonathan, and and, uh, and guys like you, like Graham Leach. And, and uh, actually, we've had uh, at a recent Mission of God conference in the UK that Ezra hosted, um, we talked about economics because we increasingly want Christians to to think about um, this issue. And I suppose, um, you know, in, in terms of the rest of this discussion, sort of thinking about some of the positive steps in light of everything that's going on um, that, um, that we might be able to take. And when you were speaking, I was thinking about, you were talking about, you know, creation being left to lie fallow and what was done to the Dutch farmers in the, in, in the Netherlands. 
and the political pushback at the at the popular level about basically farmers being forced out of people being literally forced out of farming out of production in service of this this ideology we're being increasingly told we're seeing propaganda now uh, in the media about how important it is that we're all going to be eating bugs um uh in insects basically um despite the fact that studies have shown of the the, the negative health consequences of, of eating these exoskeletons of insects in in large in large numbers their cancer causing character but, but we're gonna have to be stuffing our faces with insects rather than eating beef because we've got these kooks uh who um you know are are determined to um usher in their dystopian nightmare for the world um, you've talked about the massive levels of debt and, and, the, and its unsustainability globally. And I often reflect on, you know, what happens when one of the major economies can't pay the bill, can't pay the, the interest um, on the loans? And uh, when you've got all of these countries in similar situations, you know, do we start to see more, um, uh, a greater threat of war and conflict? Um, breaking out as sort of um, this kind of instability grows. And of course, you're seeing um, political movements uh, of people who have some degree of common sense. You know, this is, I guess, a positive step, really. You're seeing it in Europe beginning to push back and say, look, this is madness. Um, and so we're poised at a very interesting time in history economically. And as you've said, it's driven spiritually. It's driven by worldview. Just for the, you know, we have people listening to this program right now, Jonathan, who are driving their truck across Canada. We know that because we, we hear from them. Um, or there, are house, uh, there are housewives sitting at tables in Canada, in the US, in England. Um, they're doing the ironing right now and they're listening to this, this show. We've got, I know there's elderly people in my little parish church in England who listen to this, this program every week. Um, and we've hit some big macro issues um and uh, and uh sort of wrestled with some of those and uh, certainly i'd be uh, interested to hear you know your thoughts on the what the what the sort of immediate medium term future uh, looks like first and then maybe you could just help us uh as we sort of wind the conversation more to a conclusion what are the what are the simple things what are the straightforward things you know people managing their household budget um, thinking about 2024, and they're, they're maybe wrestling with, you know, shall I, um, you know, move house? Uh, you know, what shall I, should I, should I invest? Should I save? Um, should we stretch ourselves and buy that um, new car or go on, go on that holiday? You know, the kind of ordinary things that, that families are thinking about, their children's education and everything else. So maybe start with just um, how you see the sort of medium term panning out. Are there sort of global threats really to 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 wealth and stability how do you see that happening and then what are the practical things that we can do to be faithful to the lord in seeking to build wealth for our families our children and our children's children the scripture says a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children um, and we don't want to um, mortgage the future of our of our children and our grandchildren just on our own comfort and ease um, and these are challenging economic times, as you've said, that, you know, we haven't seen these kinds of uh, rises in debt or rises in the, the rates, the speed of rise in interest rates in, in history. 
um, that's pretty significant. So big picture, where do you see things going in the medium term? And then very practical, and maybe Ryan, I'll have some follow-ups as we, as we discuss some of the practicals, but what are some of those things that the ordinary Christian listening to this can begin to do to protect wealth, build wealth for the kingdom and for their children? Yeah, I think I, w- I would start with a major theological point, and that is the sovereignty of God over all creation. So I, I would begin with, as a Christian, saying, you know what, um, I rest first and foremost. And every day I get up, I realize this is God's world, and he's running it according to his sovereign purposes and his will. And um, it's not out of control, despite all the challenges. It's in it's in his control, and he is, um, he's, and if you're a Christian, he has our best interests at heart. Um, All things work together for good to those who love God according to his purpose. That gives me a strong foundation to operate on. Even when everything around you seems to be crumbling, we have the rock, um, Christ Jesus, that we rest in. And that's, that's critical regardless of the situations. And it also allows us, I think, just to think long term that uh, as we look at uh, the world in which we live, we should be thinking, and still thinking intergenerationally. We shouldn't be caught up with, uh, you know, is the rapture going to happen tomorrow? Am I gone from here? You hear people talking like this. No, our responsibility is to be faithful, faithful where God has called us. So if that's a truck driver, to be faithful and the best truck driver. If that's someone in the home um, working as a housewife and supporting a family, to be the very best mother and, uh, and wife that that woman can be, that we are to exemplify Christ in every area, every vocation that he places us in, and, uh, and then to maximize those opportunities each and every day. And so, just, you know, clearly I think on the horizon, yeah, there's going to be challenges. Um, we've got too many dislocations. We've got too much debt. We've got policies that are destructive and all of that. And as Christians, we need to be trusting the Lord, being faithful every day, and then pushing back as Christians, being in our vocation. So if you're in a vocation and you have opportunities to speak out about these things like we're doing right now, then we need to speak out about them. We need to educate the people that we're dealing with in our businesses, in our churches, and so forth. And uh, we need to, as the Dutch folks uh, did, push back against these policies, or as the truckers did in Canada, the convoys, speak out and get active and, uh, and try to protect the rights and the freedoms that we have in our country existence that, that, that exist right now. And so we need to be um, very active in, in our lives and, uh, and, and out there. I'd also encourage Christians should be risk takers because mm-hmm. we know God who holds the future. And uh, we should cast our bread upon the water as uh, Ecclesiastes tells us. And we know that God will, will, it will return to us in various forms. And uh, we're not to be paralyzed by the, the clouds or the water or the rain and things like that. We're to sow and we're to reap. And so I think Christians should be setting up businesses, thinking about new entrepreneurial ventures. How are they going to um, you know, create products and services of value in the future? And, uh, and, and be business people, be entrepreneurial. That's what God's placed us to be here, to be producers, to pr- be production oriented, uh, to create uh, wealth for the right reasons, to honor him, to help our fellow man, to be generous to our neighbor and so forth. Um, if we're going to fulfill the law that he has, uh, that he's given us. So um, I'm an opt- I'm optimistic because ultimately I'm a Christian and I know the end of the story. And I know even through the difficulties, God is with us and his grace is sufficient to sustain us. And he's put us here for this time, um, despite the difficulties. And so we, you know, we should be going full steam ahead. 
Um, we need to be anchored in our faith. We need to know the scriptures. We need to be strong in our, 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 our testimony. Uh, we need to be in good churches. We need to make sure that we're supporting our churches, that we have you know, strong pastors that are preaching the word. All of these things are critical uh, to our society that uh, we're called to repentance and to turn from our, from our evil ways. And so, you know, my, 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 my great, you know, ex you know, push, if you will, or, or, or exhortation is to be a Christian, get out there and do all that God has called us to do and uh, to seek his kingdom first and all these other things will be added unto us. And, uh, and so I just encourage Christians to, you know, not stand back, um, get involved, um, start businesses, look for opportunities in the market. I mean, when you consider uh, the education system that most people are going through, and you consider the lack of knowledge, the you know they're on drugs, they're on you know, antidepressants, they're, they're, all of these things our society is burdened with, Christians should be taking more leadership and more responsibility in the culture, in the economy, um, in our institutions, not less. Um, and, uh, and so we press on and we just trust that the Lord will use us and uh, push back the evil of these elites. I mean, God ultimately controls these folks. And uh, that's my optimism that uh, he'll stop some of these people dead in their tracks. Uh, they have evil agendas and uh, we trust him. Right. <clears throat> Jonathan, uh, I have a, uh, just want to tack a rider onto uh, Joe's question uh, related, but uh, maybe in a bit of a different direction. Uh, you, you've talked uh, and explained ESG, uh, explained where it, uh, you know, the faulty assumptions there, but the, the very existence of ESG or other sort of, uh, you know, ethical investing uh, ideas or movements pre presupposes that there is an ethical component uh, to capital allocation. And so my, my question is just as, uh, you know, as Christians, uh, maybe at, uh, at every, every level, sort of as, you know, as individual investors, uh, heads, heads of a household, uh, as an investment manager like yourself, uh, or even as the, the head of a publicly traded corporation, uh, as a Christian, what are, what are some of the principles that are in play for how we, uh, uh, how we expose ourselves to different sectors? Um, I guess how, how do you decide, you know, may, maybe there's a, you know, a profitable or exciting company that, you know, looks good in terms of their, you know, their PE ratios and so forth, but we don't want anything to do with them because of what they're actually doing. Um, are there, are there sectors that are just kind of a, a no go for, uh, for you or should be for all Christians or. Does it, does that make sense? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we're we're here to 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 be efficient allocators of capital. We should use God's moral law and um and uh, and, and those things that be consistent with the way God would have us live in this world, consistent with His nature ultimately. So I think there's some businesses. I mean, there's some that are in the you know some of the drug industries. I think uh, some of them uh, I think are questionable. I think in the you know, there's pornography, certain entertainment industries, gambling industries. Um, there's some that are quite dangerous. Increasingly, there might be some of the technology space which might be promoting um, certain forms of artificial intelligence that might be very dangerous that we'd want to stay away from certain companies. So I think we'd have to, again, it's an evolving area and one that we want to be very careful of. I mean, it might be a company, I, I think you get a company like Disney. Um, there's a company that now is uh, completely undermining the family. I mean, not that it was great 20, 30 years ago either. I mean, I've never been a big Disney fan in terms of content, but here it's very explicitly attacking 
uh, Christian truth and values and human sexualities and um, how God has you know created us. And so uh, we don't want to, I don't want to own a company like that. I don't want to own a company that's pushing you know certain agendas that's uh, that's that's aggressive in that area. Having said all of that, we you know it's not black and white always, right? And so right. Um, there are some businesses. I mean, you could take banks for example, and if you own any banks, you, you can be sure that the bank probably is funding businesses or providing capital to industries that you don't like. And so it is. You have to, I think, um, you, you know, use some wisdom. And uh, and I, we just try to try to stay away from businesses where it's just really clear that the majority of the business and the, the agenda of the business is antithetical to business, uh, Christian ethics and morality. And, um, and so uh, that, that's sort of the grid that we would use uh, in terms of allocating the capital. Yeah. From that perspective. Yeah. We want I to think, see, yeah. sorry, the, the, the last thing, I, the last thing I just say in terms of this, I mean, when you look at the, and you you guys know this very well because you're experts at covering this and the whole Ezra Institute has been exceptional in developing this. I mean, we really have a complete attack on Genesis 1 to 3. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just spent time in Genesis 1 to 3, where, you know, God makes us male, male, female to produce in the garden, to be the vice regents, to, to rule over the creation and so forth. I mean, everything that we're seeing here is an attack upon the created mandate, everything that God has given us and, and, and order, the way he's ordered the universe, if you will. And so when you look at the ESG and you look at all these policies, all of them are attack on God himself and, and on our Christ and, uh, and a rejection, of course, of the fall and sin in, in Genesis 3. And I think that's always, always when, you, when you look at these policies, it always reminds us again of the truthfulness and faithfulness of God's word that man apart from regeneration and apart from Christ uh, will attack God and attack his world and do it's, it's a culture of death and will undermine everything that God has given us, all the benefits, all the blessings. I think Christians should very, be very careful about falling into this trap of viewing the world as a limited world. I mean, God has given us a creation that is massively rich. We've, we've just, we've just tapped the surface of the resources we have in the creation. And this idea that everything's scarce, well, it's scarce because we need to produce it. We need to find it. But God hasn't given us scarcity from the point of view that if we work hard and we, you know, do our research, we do our science and the way we can, you know, look at the earth and the resources, there is plenty that can uh-huh. be developed. And we, we need to get out of this mentality that, you know, uh, the whole world, the world is going to, you know, wind down and there's going to be nothing left for people unless we, you know, you know, kill half the population. This is, this is absolutely from the pit of hell. Mm-hmm. And we need to get that out of our thinking. God has given us resourceful earth that will feed and take care of everybody if it wasn't for sin until he returns. And we need to continue to develop, have families, have children. That's the other thing I would emphasize. Young people, have children. And that's your, you know, your best investment apart from Christ is in your families and build up those family units. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, because we live in a culture of death where they will, as we see, they want to emasculate our children. They want to castrate our children. They want to take wow. them completely out of the picture. And we, we need to do the exact opposite. Yeah. I'm glad you finished on that um, sort of post-millennial note there, Jonathan, uh, uh, which uh, certainly <laughs> certainly rings our bell um, that we, need, uh, we, we mustn't allow ourselves to get depressed or despondent or downcast. And then, of course, ha- you know, being somebody, as you said, a, a, a Christian should be people who are out there building families, um, ready to take risks, trusting in the Lord, 
trusting in his sovereignty. And of course, that means um, if we're going to invest in things and um, uh, uh, take you know, wise, uh, prudent steps forward um, uh, and managing risk well, we need something to invest. And so that's going to mean, you know, for our young people listening, you know, working hard, you know, get a job, um, work hard, work during your, 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 your study breaks. Try and try, try and uh, contribute significantly to, to your way through your uh, education, uh, or or start a business. Don't go to university. Maybe the Lord wants you to to take a risk and start a business with with others. Um, the basic principles of you know managing a budget, living within your means, uh, saving. Um, you know, I remember my grandmother used to say to me, you know, spend a little, save a little, give a little. Um, just sort of fundamental uh, basic principles that we've sort of lost in that sort of free money, debt-oriented culture, you know, live now, pay later kind of a mindset. Um, and uh, But actually, you know, building wealth is, as you've said, a multi-generational long-term project. Um, and uh, wanting something for nothing, something for, for free is the disease of our age. And if we're going to have something to invest... Um, we need to we need to work hard and try and minimize debt and eliminate debt where we can, um, and uh, and be ready then to be the head and not the tail, to be the to the, be the lender, to be the creditor, not the debtor, um, and that should be I think our our goal as we uh, as we as we think about these things and um, apply what you've you've said to us. Any any final remarks on that? Yeah, I mean profits and savings and running businesses are honorable to God if they're done again according to his ethical principles this idea that you know profits and savings are negative and uh, bus- running a business op- you know you hear Christians sometimes say some in- interesting things no 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 savings and profits are accountability it means we're using our resources wisely and there's an excess that we can then reinvest back into people or the business itself and uh, and to help and so the whole the whole idea of capitalism proper capitalism really can only be built and founded upon a christian principles and it's an amazing tool to lift people out of poverty and provide tremendous opportunities for people and also to diversify the risk of concentration uh, in the power of a few which ultimately ends up usually in a, you know a tyrannous situation so um, get out there, save all these basic principles that you just articulated so well, Joe, they never disappear. They never go away based upon the external circumstances. Those are the principles we must live by all the time. Yeah. Right. Well, Joe, uh, Jonathan, thank you uh, for so much for being here. Really appreciated this conversation. It's uh, It's been a blessing, and I know that, uh, I know that uh, the, these interviews that we've had with you are... Uh, and I know that because we hear it. Uh, we, people tell us that uh, they are a blessing to many others. So we're always uh, always grateful to uh, to have you with us. Uh, for those of you who are listening, oh, go ahead. You looked like you were going to say something. Well, I just want to thank you very much for the work you guys do. I, I I enjoy the program. It's very helpful to me in terms of all the other subjects that you deal with. And so it's it's wonderful to have again the Christian worldview is a, a beautiful thing uh, that. Uh, allows us to deal and interact with so many different areas and allow us to live life to the fullest and really flourish. Mm-hmm. Amen. Oh, it's good of you to say so. Thank you. Uh, for all, all of you listening, uh, I commend uh, Jonathan and uh, his, uh, his investment firm, Rocklink, to you. We can put a link to, uh, to your website uh, in this, uh, this episode. And if, uh, if you're looking if you're for a, uh, 
a year-end investment, uh, a way to uh, support uh, the work of the Kingdom of God, uh, may I uh, humbly recommend that uh, that you allocate some of your your giving to the Ezra Institute and the work and ministry that uh, that we're about here. Uh, our goal is the uh, the advance and declaration of the gospel of the kingdom, and uh, we we try to uh, emphasize that in every area of life, and uh, that to to do that uh, we uh, we depend on your ongoing support and we're grateful for it. If you visit uh, ezrainstitute.com, there is a way that you can donate. Uh, those donations are tax deductible, and uh, you'll receive uh, you'll, you'll receive tax credit for that. Uh, at the end of the year, uh, thank you for uh, for considering. We remind you, as always, that from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. May God be glorified. A very merry Christmas, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>